I wonder if I need to uh, talk just a little bit here so that you can get used to the dialect. Can you understand me a little bit? It will get better uh, as time goes along here. You'll catch on to it. Uh, we laugh about the way we... I'm from the southern United States, a place called Georgia, and uh, we are uh, known to be slow talkers. That's good, isn't it? When you're learning a, uh, learning a new language, we're slow talkers. And so, uh, anyway, we have, a, we have a way of allowing all of our words to lean on the other word, and it just kind of uh, slides out, and it's just kind of uh, something you have to get used to. Used to. But anyway, I am so glad to be here. Uh, I've been looking forward to this moment for some time. I met your pastor back uh, last year at, in Wisconsin at the Victory Conference and just thoroughly enjoyed that, though it was abbreviated. And uh, just so happy to see you and meet you. Uh, I've imagined your faces now for a while here now and uh, just very pleased to actually see you. You know, I wish you would turn in your Bible as we begin here uh, over to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians. Look, if you will, at chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 5 for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, where it says this, Not that we are sufficient... Now stop there just a moment. Does it, uh, does it bother you that God says in the Bible that you are not sufficient? Does that bother you any? Well, if it does bother you, uh, maybe it's good to keep reading a little bit because it's not that God is disrespecting you. Uh, he says not that we are sufficient of ourselves. It's not that God says that you are not sufficient, you can't be sufficient, you just can't be sufficient of yourself. Uh, not sufficient of ourselves. In fact, God always comes along and balances all of His truth. If you go over to chapter 12, uh, He says, now my grace is sufficient. So I've got two truths there that I need to keep in mind all the time. One of them is that I am not sufficient, and that God is sufficient through His grace. And that when uh, He comes uh, into my life, then I become sufficient for whatever I need to do. Uh, but until He comes in, and until He takes control of my life, uh, then I am still insufficient. But with Him, I become very, very sufficient. Now, we have an illustration of that in the Word of God. And that illustration is the children of Israel trying to keep the law of Moses. You know, Moses came back uh, in the book of Exodus, and God used him to give us a, uh, give a law to the children of Israel. Had 613 different laws in, in that whole law, and God gave it to Israel for them to keep. Only problem was they couldn't do it. Uh, they couldn't keep for 1,400 years and some change. Uh, they uh, tried to keep that law. They were so sure that they could do it. Uh, they said, oh, yes, Moses, we will keep this law. You can count on us, but they could never do it. And so uh, they had to uh, learn that. It took 1,400 years, and finally uh, God fulfilled the rest of this verse. He said, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And Jesus came and did what we could never do for ourselves, uh, that is, pay for our own sins. Now, uh, do you ever wonder why child the children of Israel couldn't keep that law? 
Well, they, never, they couldn't keep it. Why couldn't they keep it? Well, they couldn't keep it because the law had a weakness. And the weakness of the law was that it depended on our self-effort uh, to be kept. The children of Israel had to keep it through their own self-effort. And God says that over in Romans 8. Flip over there for just a moment, uh, if you will. Romans chapter 8, and look at verse 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 says this, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, uh, look at that phrase just a moment, weak through the flesh. Uh, God says that the flesh, that is, uh, that uh, part of us that we would use to fulfill the law without the Lord Jesus and do the right thing without the Lord Jesus, that flesh is weak. Uh, Self-effort is always doomed to failure in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's doomed to failure in your, in your life, and you have to understand that, that uh, you cannot do anything on your own. You know, beloved, I, I have been able to preach for a long time. Uh, I preached my first sermon when I was 18 years old. And uh, it was uh, kind of funny. It was seven minutes long, John, and then I was totally done. I had told those people everything I knew in seven minutes. And, uh, but I preached my first sermon when I was 18, and I'm now 64, and so I've been preaching a long time. But uh, one thing that these, what, 47 years have taught me in ministry is the total futility of working in the flesh. That is, what I am without Christ. It, it, you just cannot do it. And it's illustrated for us uh, in just the uh, foibles that we have uh, when we try to operate totally in the flesh. And it's just such a, uh, such a funny thing. One uh, Saturday morning, excuse me, one Friday morning, uh, my minister of music and I had a project that we were working on. We had a, a choir of children, and we thought, you know, we really need to have some risers for these children to sing on. And so uh, I am a carpenter by trade. That's what I've done between uh, churches. And so uh, I said, look, uh, we'll just build them. So we went out on Friday morning to build the risers. And did you ever have one of those days when nothing worked? This is one of those days. Nothing would work. Uh, this should have been a three or four hour job. So we started about eight o'clock that morning. And guess what? We walked away from the church at ten o'clock that night and the risers still were not built. You say, you mean it took you all day to build the risers? No, listen. They still weren't built after all day. They still weren't. Who said finished? Uh, we weren't finished. We had to come back the next day for another four hours and work on those silly risers. Well, by the time I got through, I thought, you know, I can't do anything anymore. Uh, it must be my age. But then I remembered uh, those other times prior to that when I was a young man when I couldn't get anything done. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think I went out that day and I said, you know, I've got this. You ever make that statement, I, I've got this, I can do this. This is one thing that I can do. Do you know that you're doomed as soon as you say that? You're just doomed as soon as you say that because God can't bless that. Uh, he wants us to understand that uh, we are always dependent on Him. 
We always need to be leaning on Him. There's no song uh, that we sing in, in America. I don't know whether you, uh, you folks sing it here or not, but it's called Learning to Lean. And you have to learn to lean and depend on the Lord all the time to get anything done. Uh, I, I've just I've watched this down through the years, and you'll hear people who don't understand this principle, and they'll say, "Wait a minute! If I make up my mind, I can do anything I need to do. If I just make up my mind, well, I want you to know uh, I can make up my mind all I want to, but until God's hand blesses it and gets into it, I can't even do what I think I can do." And the children of Israel were, uh, they said, "Look, we can do this. We can keep this law." But could they keep the law? They could never keep that law. Uh, and so, it is the same with us. Now, you men and ladies who are here this morning, uh, you can do, go about the work of serving God in one of two ways. Uh, you can do, uh, go about it in your own self-effort, or you can go about the work of God uh, leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ, leaning on the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And if you do the latter, uh, you will be blessed and relaxed and have joy. But if you try to do the former, oh my goodness, uh, you will be all day and day and a half uh, doing the simplest little task. And some things you will never get done because you're leaning on the flesh to get them done. Well... Uh, I've, I've watched this all down through the years, and my life illustrates it. I know ladies have days like this too. Because I've come into my house so many times, and the house filled with smoke. The smoke alarm going off there in the house. And my wife uh, in a heap over on the chair uh, crying. And I said, baby, what's the matter with you? What's, what's the problem here? And she says, I was going to fix you this delicious meal and going to fix your favorite pork chops and uh, I was going to fix that for you and now I burned everything. And she just melts into tears. Is anybody feeling this yet? And I say, oh honey, uh, I love burned. Uh, burned is good. Uh, I, it's so tasty. She says, oh no, this is really burned. Uh, I mean, it's really burned. She says, it's stuck in, in the uh, pan. I said, we'll get it out. She said, how are we going to get it out? It's burned onto the pan. I totally forgot about it. I said, look, we'll go get the chainsaw and cut it out of there. and It'll be so good. Uh, you, we'll love it. So I know ladies have days like that as well. Uh, and you know, it's so funny, isn't it? How human beings are. Uh, human beings decide, yes, we can do this. I, I can get this done. No, no problem, I can get this done. Some years ago, uh, I don't know, uh, is, is money tight in any of your lives, any of your homes? Is, is money a tight thing? You have to struggle to make ends meet? Well, everyone has to find some way to uh, save a few uh, uh, dollars in, our, in America, euros here. You have to, uh, have to save a little money. And so... Uh, my way to save money uh, is to do my own auto maintenance. I, I do my, all my work on my own cars. And, uh, you know, the maintenance, I don't do the major stuff, but I do the, all the maintenance stuff. I change my own oil. And uh, so uh, I've gotten, you know, I started doing this when I was about 10 years old, helping my dad. And so I know how to change oil. I mean, I, I can do that. About 15 minutes and I can get my oil changed. Just no problem. I know how to do that. Uh, slide under there, pull the plug, put the pan under it, uh, drain all the oil out. It's just a cinch. And so 
uh, one morning I said, you know, I'm going to run out and I'm going to change the oil in uh, my wife's car. And this was a Monday morning. The preachers, what's laughingly called, our day off. And uh, Monday morning I ran out. So I'm going to change the oil in the car. And so I rushed out there uh, and uh, I was going to do my thing. I slid up under the car, uh, spun the oil plug out, and uh, the oil started draining out. Everything was going great. I reached up, grabbed the oil filter, was going to twist it off. And I twisted off, no problem, oil drained out. And it, everything was okay until I started screwing the new oil filter on. And so I screwed it on right there, and I felt it bottom out uh, before it was supposed to. And I said, that's strange. Well, and so I put a little more pressure on it, at, but I reached that point at which I knew I couldn't go because my dad was a mechanic, and he had a way of motivating you not to force things on that weren't supposed to go on. He said, boy, if you strip that off, you're going to feel a lot of pain. I'm going to get you. And so I still remember the voice of my dad uh, telling me he was going to, uh, you know, well, you know what he was going to do if I, if I messed that oil, uh, that oil filter up. And so I stopped and said, something's wrong. So I screwed it off, looked at the threads. Everything was good. Uh, screwed it back up there. It still wouldn't go all the way on. So after I messed with that for about an hour trying to make it work, I looked at the thing. I said, I've just got a bad oil filter here. And so I jumped in my car. We live out in the country. And so it's a long way to the parts store. And so I ran, uh, got in my other vehicle, drove to the parts store, uh, got the other part, and uh, came back and uh, took it in there. And uh, it wouldn't work either. And so I thought, what in the world is this? I've changed this I don't know how many times. won't work. So I rushed back to the parts store. I said, what's going on here? Uh, this one doesn't fit either. By this time, it's noon. I started at 8, it's noon, and so I said, this won't fit either. And so he looked at it and he said, you've got the, I said, this is a 3593. It's supposed to be a 3593 part, and this is a 3593. Why won't this work? And uh, he said, oh, you've got the old 3593. You need a new 3593. I said, oh, there's an old 3593 and a new 35. Oh, I should have known that. Oh, I should have figured that out. I mean, 3593 is not a 3593. It can be an old 3593 or a new 3593. Oh, I should have known that. And so he gives me what I'm supposed to have. I take that home and I put it on, put the new oil in. I think, good grief, this is taking over half a day. I can't believe it. And so uh, then I run up, I put the oil in, and I realized after I put it in, I, I measured it and I'd put too much oil in it. Well, in the meantime, I had started the car and gotten it warmed up. And uh, so anyway, I said, I'll just have to uh, open the plug a little bit and let the oil drain out a little bit. And I'll drain out about a quart. I'd put too, a quart too much in it. Uh, that's a liter, I guess, or pretty close. And so I, I, I was going to let a liter drain out. Only one problem. I'm down under the car, and I'm screwing that little plug out, and guess what happens when you run a motor for a while? It gets hot, right? Do you know what it does to your hand? It burns your hand. That's what it does. And so uh, I held it for just a moment and I said, I'm going to be a real man about this. It's going to burn a little bit, but I'm going to hold on. John, I didn't make it. Uh, and so finally, I just jerked my hand back. It was burning my hand, blisters all over my hand, and the, all the oil ran out of the car on the floor. I was not very green that day. 
I just I, I couldn't I couldn't get anything. So anyway, it ran out on the floor. To make a long story short, as the sun went down that night, I finally got that oil changed, and I walked away from there. And suddenly, I thought, you know what? It's really true. The flesh is weak. As soon as I decide I can do something in my flesh, I cannot do something in my flesh. And you know those Israelis, uh, God gave them that law and they said, we'll keep it. And 1,400 years later, they said, you know, we can't keep this law. We can't keep this law. We just cannot do it. So when you and I decide that we, are, we can do something, we need to understand that what the... See, we can't do things... On, the hum- on a temporal level, on a, on a human level, we can't do things on a spiritual level either. God says, look, you, are, uh, you have this flesh thing going on. It's all that you are without Christ. And you cannot do anything uh, in that flesh. You have to, he says, you have to lean on me and trust in me and consciously do that. Now, beloved... You know these folks out there in the religious world who are always trying to work and earn their salvation. They think they can do enough good works and earn their salvation. Some people think that they can take this flesh that can't even get oil changed and they, uh, they think they can work enough and do enough to earn salvation. Uh, they think they're going to work all that out. And I say, with what? You're going to work it out with your flesh? Oh, come now. Uh, That is never going to work. See, beloved, we are free. As believers, we are free from the idea and the bondage of pleasing God in the flesh. Uh, We can only please God in the Spirit. And we're also free from having to live a righteous life in the energy of our flesh. A mountain preacher... We have a a section of America called Appalachia. It's mountainous, and our poorest people live in that section. And they're also those who tend to be less educated, uh, more ignorant. I don't mean that in an ugly way, but they just, uh, they're they're more ignorant. And uh, so one of those mountain men got saved one day, and the pastor was talking to him. And the pastor said, "Uh, Now, uh, John, if you. Uh, will trust the Lord, if you will lean on Him, He will help you to live a godly life. And this mountain man said, I don't need no help. I can do it by myself. Boy, was he in for a shock. Have you ever tried to live for God and failed? I don't know of any believer who says, you know, since the moment I was saved, I have done great. I have just lived an impeccable, wonderful Christian life. I have been terrific. I don't know anybody who says that. Uh, we just we goof up so much. We fail so much. And it ought to teach us after a while that we uh, cannot do anything in our flesh effectively. Now, God told us this a long time ago. Look in your Bible at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and look at verse 6, if you will. It says this, 
As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Now, do you see that? He says, in the same way that you receive Jesus Christ, you're supposed to walk in Him exactly the same way. As you have received Him, then walk in Him in exactly the same way. How did you receive the Lord? Uh, did you, when you received the Lord, uh, what did you trust? Did you trust totally in the Lord and His uh, person and work for your salvation? You say, of course I, sir, I trusted totally in the Lord. Uh, I can't save myself. I can't even help save myself. So I, yes, I trusted totally in the Lord. It was all about Him. Uh, the Bible says that that is exactly the way you are a success in the Lord. Now, I'm a pastor. Uh, I pastor a church roughly this same size. And uh, it, very often I have some of my people who come to me and they say, Pastor, uh, I want to live for the Lord Jesus. I want to be faithful to Him, but I find myself failing time after time. I find myself lying down in bed at night and feeling so guilty. Have you ever experienced that? Feeling so guilty because I've just not been what I know that I need to be. I've not done what I need to do and I know I need to do. And Pastor, I feel so guilty. How can I do this? Do you know invariably the same thing is wrong? It's something that's wrong up here. It's in the way they're thinking. They are thinking that they have to be utterly determined to live for God and to live for God in their own self-effort. Oh, it will never work. You cannot do a spiritual thing with the flesh because the flesh is weak. You can't do it. You, instead, you have to trust and learn, consciously trust and learn uh, to lean on the Lord Every moment of every day. You can't do anything if you don't do it. It comes down to the simplest little things. One, I have six grandchildren. Uh, my youngest daughter, uh, you know, she was just great at having children. So she had six of them in a row. And they were all small uh, at the same time. And so her car was always full of car seats. And so, uh, you know, you usually needed two or three adults putting in car seats and buckling kids in at a time. And so uh, they have a, a Jeep. And so in order to buckle in the inner car seat, you have to kind of climb over the, the, the car seat that's here and stand on your head and put the child in the car seat. Well, as you see, I'm 6'5", and I don't fold up very well anymore. I'm 64 and 6'5". And so, uh, but one day... Uh, there were no ladies around to put in the car seats. That's usually what you do. You stand around and look like you can't do anything and let the ladies do it. And so there were no ladies around. And so I decided, I said, you know, uh, I'm going to put the car seat in. I'm going to put the kid in the car seat, buckle the kid in. It's going to be a cinch. I can do this. My son-in-law was over on the other side, and he was watching me. I think he saw this one coming. So anyway, I, I climbed in there and climbed over into the Jeep and I was going to put the kid in. But the only problem is it was night. And the overhead dome light in the Jeep was out. 
So it was dark. I couldn't see what I was doing. I'd never put this particular car seat in, and so you had to work the seat belt behind the car seat some way, and I wrestled with that and wrestled with that. Uh, it was cooler weather, and I began to perspire, and I was just working on this thing, trying to get it through there, and working and working and working. Some of you are smiling. You're the car seat people. You've done this, right? And some of you are not. So I was just I was working my little head off trying to get it done, and the sweat began to drip down into my eyes, and I was just working and working. My son-in-law was watching all this, and I was working and working until I just exhausted myself. Uh, there was the little slot that the seat belt plugs into over here, and I kept missing the slot and going all over the place, and I would feel for it and miss it again, feel for it and miss it again. And I was just getting so frustrated. You men know what happens when we're trying so hard we can't get something done. What do we do? We get mad, don't we? We get angry. And I was angry at this seatbelt. I could feel myself just getting more and more angry. I wasn't getting anywhere. And the angrier I got, the more I missed. I could not get it in. And the little kid was there. Papa's about to kill somebody. Well, and I was plugging and plugging away. I couldn't get it done. I just could not. I couldn't get it done. And so, uh, finally, I just kind of backed up in exhaustion, leaned up against the front seat, <laughs> like that. And my son-in-law, we're at a point in our relationship where we can kid each other. No, it's more than kid each other. We can dig each other a little bit. He looked at me and he said, Dad... Just depend. Just depend. I don't like anybody preaching my own sermons. I just I don't like that. He, so if I, you know, I wanted to say I know that. I know that. I know you're supposed to depend. I'm depending, but I wasn't depending. I was depending on flesh effort. I could do it. I could plug that thing in. And so uh, anyway, but the the Holy Spirit, oddly enough, He was digging me. He really wasn't trying to help. Uh, he was just digging me, and so. But the Holy Spirit said, you know, He's right. He may be trying to get the best of you, but He's right. You're, even in this simple little task, you are not depending. So I backed up. I said, okay, Lord, He's right. I'm trying to do this simple little task in the energy of my flesh. And you are frustrating my efforts to try to teach me a lesson. And so I said, Lord, I just want to rest in You. I want to depend on You. I leaned back over there and went, click, and fastened the seatbelt. It was all done in a moment. Now, why did God do that? You realize that God did do that. Have you ever been frustrated by the simplest little thing? Why can't I do this? Why can't I? Why can't I? Understand, God is teaching you. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. He says, to think anything of ourselves. He says, you can't even think right. In other words, but our sufficiency is of God. If you're here this morning and you're very frustrated with yourself, and you, you have been almost depressed the last little while, over your spiritual state, you say, uh, the pastor is always talking about spiritual awakening. I can't even do blank. I can't get anything done. 
I can almost guarantee you that there is a, uh, something wrong with what you're thinking. And that what you're thinking is, I can do this. And we have to constantly say, uh, I am not sufficient until I partake of His sufficiency. And when I partake of His sufficiency, then I become sufficient. But until then, I'm insufficient. By the way, did you know that that is exactly what God has been saying all along to us? He said it so many times in Scripture. Let me give you a few illustrations of that, if I may. Look in your Bible, please. Over to, oh, let's see. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. God says, look, uh, I want to preserve you blameless. Now, notice there that he does not say, I want you to preserve yourself blameless. But instead, he says, uh, if you will just let me, I will preserve, you will be preserved. Notice that's passive. You will be preserved blameless. That's the secret of this whole thing. God wants to preserve you, and we say, no, I want to preserve myself. Uh, God, uh, I'm going to live for you. Now, May I, may I tell you that it took me a long time to learn who was going to preserve me blameless. I went into Christianity with the wrong mindset totally. I thought, okay, God has saved me. He's done all the work to save me. Now it's my turn to produce. Uh, I am supposed to now really live for God and show Him how much I love Him by being determined to be a good Christian. That's the wrong mindset. You say, you mean we're not supposed to be determined to be a good Of course you are. But you have to understand that you do not have the sufficiency to do it. The flesh, all flesh effort, is weak and doomed to fail. You can never make it. You can't do it. Lord bless me. I was saved as a, as a child, uh, eight years old. And I remember God, when God saved me, I said, you know, I, I want to be a good Christian. I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to be a good Christian. And so I made up my mind. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good Christian. I'm going to be a good Christian boy. And so I went out there, and guess what? I became a bad Christian boy. I didn't want to be a bad Christian boy, but I became a bad Christian boy. And so, uh, I remember I attended this church, Zion Hill Baptist Church. Zion's Hill. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Zion Hill Baptist Church. And it had hardwood plank floors in it. 
And so, uh, I remember the pastor would preach about sin in a believer's life. And here I would go, go down the aisle. And I would kneel at the altar, and I would repent. And I'd say, oh God, uh, please forgive me. Uh, I, have, uh, I have failed you. I have sinned. And then the next week, I would go down the aisle again. And I would say, oh God, forgive me. I failed you, and I have sinned. And then the next week, I would go down the aisle and I'd say, God... So I got to thinking, you know, I bet God's tired of hearing this. I bet God is kind of sick of putting up with me and my failures. And so I made a horrible mistake. I started bargaining with God. And making, you know, uh, telling God, making God promises. And I would say things like, okay, God, uh, I know I've been here before. I know I have been here and I've asked your forgiveness and then I would go out and not live for you. But uh, God, uh, if you'll forgive me, here's the deal. If you'll forgive me this time, then God, uh, uh, I, next, I, I, re I really mean it this time, God. I am going to live for you. And God, uh, I really mean it this time. And so I would leave that altar and I would put my shoulders back and I'd say, all right, now, I'm going to go live for God. And it wouldn't be a week. A week later, I would be back and I would be uh, wearing out that hardwood floor up to the altar again and going up there kneeling. And I'd say, now, God, I, know you, I told you last week that I really meant it that I was going to live for you. But this time, I really, really mean it. I'm going to live for you. And I really mean it. And so, then the next week, I'd say, Now, God, I know you've heard this before, but this time I really, 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 really mean it. And on and on it went. And finally, I got embarrassed to even say that. And so, uh, I finally got, I said, Okay, God, this is it. Uh, here I am kneeling at the altar of the old Zion Hill Baptist Church, having worn out the hardwood floors again. And we used to talk about something called rededicating your life. Then we found out that really wasn't scriptural. But... Uh, uh, and I would go up and I would rededicate my life to the Lord. And I kept rede I, re I rededicated my life to the Lord till my dedicator wore out. I mean, I just couldn't dedicate anymore. And so I would go up there and do it again and again. And finally I said, Okay, God. Now, I'm, gonna, I I'm asking you to forgive me, but God, you can depend on me this time. God must have been looking down from heaven and saying, Me depend on you? Isn't that backwards? Aren't you supposed to be depending on me? We don't get it. That's why God says not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think. We think dumb. And God wants us to wise up and say, No, you lean on me. Your job is to lean on me. It's not my job to lean on you. You lean on me. You are to be preserved. You don't preserve yourself. My wife uh, preserves fruit. Uh, she preserves peaches. I've never seen a peach yet preserve itself. Have you? And we're like that. We, we have to be preserved. We cannot preserve ourselves. And God tells us that again and again and again in Scripture. Now, I want to ask you, are you trying to be the peach that preserves itself? You will never do it. Now, does God want our assent? Does He want us to say, God, yes, I want to be a good Christian. I want to follow You. I want to live the Christ life that Brother Van Gelderen will talk about so much this week. I want to do it. He wants our assent. He wants our heart toward Him. Yes, 
We have that to give Him. But as far as the performing of it, we don't have that. And what God wants us to say is, God, uh, I need help. I'll tell you when I began to see progress in my spiritual life. It is when God taught me how to pray when I come to the altar. I used to pray. I would come and I would kneel and I'd say, God, here's what I'm going to do. God, I, I, I'm going to, God, if you forgive me, here's what I'm going to do. And I made God all these promises. I have told more lies to God Almighty at the altar than I have anywhere else about what I was going to do. Imagine the gall of that, lying to God Almighty at the altar. And I've just told all these vicious lies, you know, that I, about what I was going to do. But when I learned how to pray, that was such a tremendous thing. When you come to the altar, don't tell God what you're going to do. You come to, come to the altar and kneel before God and you say, God, here I am and I failed again. I am a sinner just like you said I was. Uh, I have this flesh within me that wants to be controlling. And God, I will never be a success. I will never be a godly Christian unless you, God, take over right now. And your grace helps me because your grace is sufficient. I am insufficient. Now, two great truths. One is that we are not sufficient of ourselves. You know what God loves for us to do? He loves for us to confess the truth with our mouth. Would you confess that truth with me? I, I'm going to say here in just a moment, I am not sufficient of myself. Are you sufficient of yourself? I am not sufficient of myself. Would you say that with me right now? I am not sufficient of myself. Say it again. Say it a little more feeling. I am not sufficient of myself. On the other hand, though, His grace is sufficient. Would you say that with me? His grace is sufficient. Amen. And amen. All right, Pastor.